You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hi, welcome to Comeback City, where we explore Detroit's past, present, and future. Today, we are talking about movie palaces, including the history of some of the most beautiful places you could ever imagine to go to sit and watch a movie, many of which are sadly gone. But we will also talk about some amazing movie palace restoration efforts. This episode is brought to you by Spectacular Strolls. Spectacular Strolls offers 15 historic walks in Detroit. Each walk is a self-guided 20-minute tour. Visit SpectacularStrolls.com to order your next Detroit history adventure. I'm Linda Shepard, and with me today is my co-host, Ed Brohard. Hi, Brad. Ed. Hi, Linda. So, um, yeah, we've been having a good time uh, looking up all this stuff about all the movie palaces. And I know we you've have. done some research into Howard Crane, mm-hmm. who um, was the architect of most of these movie palaces and they really were movie palaces i mean you just have to go to the fox theater in detroit which has been beautifully gorgeously restored to get an idea of what these things look like when they were brand new yeah i don't even think that uh today we have an equivalent unless it would be something like maybe something in las vegas probably uh, that would be that over the top and Glitzy and just beautiful for the average person. I mean, a real palace. A real palace. And, of course, the whole idea was to have – to try to provide some sense of opulence to to the common man. Yeah. I mean, these were workers who now – Thanks to Henry Ford and his five dollar had some extra yeah, money. You had some extra money in their pocket, and um, could for the first time in in you know American history um, indulge in these entertainment. Yeah, these wonderful entertainments, and um, so bigger, better, glitzier, more beautiful. The sense that um, even though they were just common folk. They could spend a, a, a magical three hours or something, um, you know, once a week in one of these places and feel and come home really feeling good about themselves. And this is another Roaring Twenties story, it right? Is. It is. Um, this is when these places were – these palaces were built. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about Howard Crane? Well, C. Howard Crane was a um, – uh, an architect, and he was always drawn toward the uh, this kind of thing. Uh, he did other things too. He 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 worked on office buildings, uh, but very often they were like secondary or in tandem to uh, the the entertainment centers. He didn't only do giant ones, but that's what he's most remembered for. Um, he worked for a number of this was back in the day when the studios actually owned theaters so um 
you know, we when we talk about the Fox Theater in Detroit, there were lots of Fox theaters around the country. <laughs> right. Uh, there was the 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 Fox uh, Atlanta that had the prim- the original premiere of Gone with the Wind. Uh, uh, another beautiful Fox theater was in St. Louis, the St. Louis Fox. Uh, he also did, I think, the Paramount in um, in uh, Brooklyn. He did a number of uh, New York theaters, but he was a Detroiter. And he loved Detroit, and so this was where he had the uh, the greatest number of of original works. Well, that fox in Detroit is unbelievable. Well, I it mean, was his largest. Oh I my mean, gosh! It's superlative in almost every respect. It real. It's so. It's really over the top. It has the uh, the world's. I believe. I don't know if this has been surpassed, but it had the world's uh, widest unsupported balcony. Um, so yeah, I mean, this was, this is a venue for over 5,000 people, which is immense. (laughs) And, and, you know, the last time I was there, I was with a friend and we were trying to decide what the style of the Fox is. And, um, it's kind of Egyptian, Mm -hmm. Indian, Mm -hmm. Oriental. Right. I mean, it's got a definite... Eastern vibe going there. Sure. And this was very popular in the 20s, really in the beginning of the uh, 20th century, uh, where there there was a great interest in um, revivalist art, you know, Um, particularly looking toward the East, um, toward the great civilizations of the East. So you would have things done in – None of it was necessarily really accurate from an architectural right. standpoint, but they were a person's conception of what that would look like. So um, it would be Mayan, Mughal Empire, Indian. It's like his uh, imagination just went or, wild. Yes, Oriental. Um, and you're right. I mean, the fox is full of gorgeous marble, sweeping staircases. Elephants, giant pillars, Buddhas, uh, Buddhas, <laughs> I, <laughs> just anything you can possibly imagine on top of anything else, but beautifully restored. Yes, and that was really an amazing thing. Much of that is uh, thanks to a man named in Detroit. Thanks to a man named um, Chuck Forbes, right? Who was a um, I don't know if he was an engineer or if he was in marketing, but he was with Ford Motor for years. He decided he, he had always had a, uh, a real interest in Detroit and in celebrating Detroit's history and uh, what made it special. And um, he took kind of an early retirement and devoted um, most of his energies into restoring some of the classic – Downtown movie theaters. Um, he, uh, he, I believe he's still alive, but his son now um, does sort of a has sort of an entertainment industry thing. Um, so he's still involved with theaters. Um, the Fox was was his uh, probably his first real, real, uh, real effort, but maybe the most interesting one that he did was the Gem Theater. Oh, and that okay, that was the that's the movie theater that is right 
it backs right up to Comerica Park That's baseball right. yeah. stadium. It's got a very interesting story. It was built in um, like, I think, 1919 or so. as uh, and, and it was actually built and owned by um, a civic women's club. An organization oh. of women that wanted to have, and, and there were a number of these that that uh, in the early part of the century, kind of as Detroit uh, gained more wealth and prestige, that um, a, a lot of the women wanted to have a place that they could go and uh, see performances and things. And so, sounds like a great idea to me. <laughs> that's right. And uh, so there were two small theaters that were kind of combined: the Century and the Gem. And um, it was designed sort of like a much smaller scale than the Fox, but um, really exquisite and uh, sort of like a, an Italianate Renaissance um, villa. And that's what it looks like from the front. Yeah. And um, it only sat like maybe – I don't even know if it sat a 1,000 in any event – uh, they would have uh, concerts and le- legitimate uh, shows there. Um, and then um, with the rise of the motion picture industry, they began showing movies too. Oh. Yeah. And they would also have some vaudeville acts and things, but it was on a much smaller scale. Well, the like many things in, in Detroit and in downtown and in lots of urban areas – as the as the central city went into decline, um, these places had a hard time surviving. This is the sixties yeah. and the seventies, and so uh, over the course of things, they went from maybe first run um, productions, um, class acts, to second run, uh, and then to exploitation movies. Um, Pornography. Yes, we uh, remember those days. Yes, that's right. And, and you know, and a lot of the the um, Detroit theaters followed this trajectory. Now, the the bad part was that that happened, and uh, the good part was that maybe it gave them enough life to not be torn down. Yes. And so, uh, but most, but uh, eventually, there was just a, such a proliferation of that sort of thing that they couldn't even support that. So right. a lot of them would be closed up. And uh, in the case of the gem, it still had great bones and everything. So when Chuck Forbes came in with his crew, they were able to completely restore it. And this is fascinating. It originally sat um, just north of Grand Circus Park on Woodward. Oh. And um it was moved in like 1999 maybe. Um the Gem Theater because you know all the area around there had been uh bought up for the coming Come America Park. Park. That's right, baseball. And uh so the Gem Theater actually was hoisted jacked up and hoisted onto a truck. The whole theater. Wow. A series of trucks. And moved a quarter of a mile to its present location, which is at Madison Avenue and Brush. It holds the uh, Guinness Book of World Records for the heaviest structure ever moved on tires. Wow. Yeah. And it all happened in like two days. Well, 
Probably can't take too long. <laughs> That's right. And now it's 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 flourishing, and they have uh, wonderful productions there. They There's do. Like I think I went theater company there. Yeah, there a few years ago. And um, what I liked about it, I don't know if it's like this for every performance, but the performance that I saw, they had tables and chairs, mm-hmm. um, which is a little bit of a different experience. And I did see a play. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it was uh, sort of a. Dinner theater sort of cabaret style, right? Um, Actually, I think, I think there I s- may still be some uh, a balcony there too. I saw Menopause the Musical. Oh, okay. Which okay, I have kind of a risque joke. My husband <laughs> got the name mixed up, and he said, "When are you going to see the singing vagina?" <laughs> I said, I am seeing Menopause, the musical. So, and it's a beautiful place. It was, and it was so nice to sit there um, at the little tables and the chairs. And I think maybe we ordered something to drink. Yeah. I think my son, uh, Jeff, has performed there perhaps. Oh. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a musician. and And, you know, that area is beautiful too, because right across the street is the Detroit Opera House. Mm -hmm. Um, Another wonderful restoration story. That's right. I mean, that's just absolutely amazing. And it all comes down to having a few people with vision who are really willing to put in the work to make something happen and to uh, be able to stoke enough excitement in the business community and the arts community for people to kind of sign on. I have to say – it is other than say the Guardian Building, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite buildings in the city of Detroit. The Opera House is so beautiful. I mean, the Fox is amazing, just because there's just so much of everything on top of everything on top and of everything. Its size. But the Opera House is just a jewel box. It is a jewel box, and um, it it doesn't have the huge lobby. It's it's smaller. It's kind of built sideways. Uh, It actually has an entrance on two different streets, uh, Broadway and um, is it Grand Circus? Yeah, or uh, Broadway and Madison, maybe. Mad. Well, yeah, maybe Madison. I think so. So. yeah, and that was because the uh, they actually wanted to bring opera back to Detroit. Um, you and I both went to Oakland University, and a professor there, David DiCara, was um, uh, a music professor and very influential in local arts. And um, he he was able to generate tremendous interest in seeing this through. Uh, and of course, raising money—that's what it's all about. Yes, uh, and making this happen. And they used the very best restorers. It was a labor of love. I think probably maybe a lot of it was volunteer work. I mean, it is just an absolutely beautiful venue, and the acoustics are are wonderful. So it's it's perfect for that. It's fabulous, and that's our friend C. Howard Crane. Yes, I mean, that was another Once one again. of his gems. Um, smaller venue than the Fox, certainly, but uh, in its own way, just amazing. Yeah, and I guess I I had I have talked to Dave DiCiera. Um I interviewed him for the newspaper, and he told me that when they first went in there, uh, the 
roof was open. There were birds flying in and out. It mm-hmm. was a huge, huge mess. So they had mm-hmm. a big, big job to do. But right. they did an amazing job. My son, Tim, and his then-girlfriend, when they were in high school, that was their uh, – a big date was to go down to the opera. And it was just maybe the very first production. I'm not I, – I don't know whether it might have been – um, La Boheme or it was, it was like a Puccini opera and, and, um, it was about three quarters done. And so you saw exactly what was going to be. What was happening. But, uh, yeah. And, and they were just blown away. They thought it was just so great. It is amazing. I think the first time that I went to it, um, I was covering the city of Troy as a reporter and there was a press conference for Kresge for Kmart, where they were talking about how they were not going to give up on the company. (laughs) (laughs) And they had the press conference done at the Opera House. Now, I think it had just recently opened. Mm -hmm. And I walked in and I thought, oh, my goodness, wow. So you really had a lot of confidence, you know, in Kmart, which didn't actually happen to be true because the company went under... Yeah. Just a few years but after that. the Opera that. House is doing great. <laughs> but the Opera House is doing great. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And Kresge as a, uh, as a foundation is still extremely important, you know. I mean, Very important. all kinds of yes. wonderful causes. Yes. Yeah. They have a wonderful foundation. Um, okay. So another beautiful theater that I love, um, one of my favorites, is the Detroit Film Theater. In the Detroit Institute of Arts. Oh, yeah. That's just great. That is a great theater. And another wonderful restoration, too. And another wonderful restoration effort. And um, my husband and I go every year to see the Oscar-nominated shorts. In the uh, Usually it's in February, and it's a fun experience to go every year. And then we try and get down there to see... Um, other films throughout the year periodically. But my favorite thing about the Detroit Film Theater is um, when you walk upstairs um, from the theater to go to the balcony, you enter the Crystal Gallery Cafe. The Crystal Gallery, and it's aptly named, isn't it? <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's all mirrors. and It uh, is so beautiful. Yeah. The ceilings are so high. The windows are huge and arched, and yeah, it's all gilt on the walls. It is kind of a Versailles feel. I think that's it what is, they were going for. It is a big surprise. If you think mm-hmm. you were walking up to the balcony and you entered the Crystal Gallery Cafe, uh, you, you're pretty surprised to see what is up there. Right. And I remember the first time I went up there, um, I happened to go, I used to cover um, restaurants for the newspaper. And when they they had redone the Crystal Gallery Cafe, they had redone the gilt on the walls, which was a huge effort. And I met one of the people there and she showed me around and talked about the restoration area. And then she had to leave for a minute. And she left a door open. It was kind of down a hallway through another room and a door was open and I was waiting for her. And finally I kind of got bored 
And I walked down that hall and opened the door. And um, all of a sudden, I was in the Diego Rivera court. Uh huh. Yeah. Which is, which was a shock to me because I don't know. You just kind of separate the theater. That's right. From the you art go institute to a different entrance, but right. they are. It's it's sort of like the game of Clue. You know, they're you right take next a secret to each other. Passage to the it was a secret passageway, <laughs> and there you are in the <laughs> Rivera. Court. I couldn't believe that. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. it was just kind of, oh, wow, that's right. We're I'm kind of on the same level, kind mm-hmm. of in the same area. But to get there, other than that doorway, you mm-hmm. would have to take a very long walk. Right. Well, and it's wonderful that we have that facility and actually that they curate um, not only classic films through retrospectives, but also modern um, films from foreign countries, quote-unquote, art films that just wouldn't play at your local multiplex. Right. So things like the the uh, Academy Award short subjects, uh, animation, um, things from, you know, this is where you can go see Japanese, Eastern oh, European yeah. movies, they all sorts of things. They have a great schedule. And, they, and, and it's huge. It's They, they show a lot of things. Uh, I would urge our listeners to – Check out the DIA uh, website and to look at the the film theater choices because Absolutely. Um, it's definitely worthwhile. And it's a much more pleasant experience than it used to be. I mean, the theater hadn't changed much and was, you know, had not gone through much renovation. And then when they really seriously, seriously began looking at it, they made a goal to replace all the seats uh, with – you know, kind of original materials, plush velvet, and um, in fact, my wife and I, I think, bought a couple seats. Oh, did you <laughs> really? Them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, toward that. So yeah, I don't think our names are on them. But oh, <laughs> anyway, the um, yeah, there's there's been uh, uh, a lot of interest in that. Yeah. Do you know where those seats are? Do you I go and know. sit in those I don't know. seats they don't when tell you go you, there? When you, when you purchase a seat, they don't tell you where it's going to, where it is. Oh. <laughs> I think it just goes into the pot. It would be great if seat, it were yeah. row AA or row GG or something. Nice? It would be 17, like, you know, 18. Yeah, it would, it would be like a patron of the arts. There we go. box, you know. <laughs> that would probably a good, be a good selling point. If, yeah. You know, they should do that probably. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So, Ed, do you remember going to Detroit to the movies when you were young? Back when, um, if you wanted to see a first-run movie, you had to go to downtown Detroit. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? I do, actually, yeah. Um, I don't know what my very first movie in Detroit was, but I have an idea. Um, it might have been Sleeping Beauty. No, and that's I a good one. I think it might have been at the United Artists, but I'm not sure. Which is another was another just exquisite. That's uh, the one I remember house. going to. I yeah. remember going to Ben Hur mm-hmm. at the United Artists, and that's on Bagley. Yes, and um, I think it's just. I think it's still there. It's just really it in it's bad a, it's shape. A, it's a sad story. Yeah, um, it's not one of um, our, our our great community booster, the late Mike Illich. It's not one of his real success stories. <laughs> Because uh, he bought it up with promises to restore it. His whole family promised to restore it. Didn't happen. I mean, his real plan was when Comerica Park was going to be over 
uh, on Cass Avenue. Um, he needed parking spaces and it was all going to come right. down. And then when they moved um, east of Woodward, you know, that was no longer uh, a thing for him and it just sat there and it's still sitting there, you know, I mean, it's. Right. And right next to it is the Michigan Theater, mm -hmm. which is a parking garage now. I know. And that's probably one of the most, um, one, of my, one of the most, uh, whether you call it sad or just quirky or notorious. Pretty notorious. Um, notorious. It's been the site of music videos, of course. Oh, yeah. It featured uh, uh, significantly in the movie Eight Mile with Eminem. Eminem, yes. Yeah. And it is. It's kind of an amazing thing. I mean, the the movie amphitheater is the auditorium is still there, only it's filled up with cars. And you drive your car up and park in this. It still has murals on the wall. It still has this amazing gilt ceiling. Uh, of course, it's kind of open to elements and everything. So it's yeah. Uh, I actually went into it just um, a, two weeks ago, and. Um, you know, I wasn't sure exactly where it was. I had the address. It's on Bagley. It's in kind of an area of town that is not seeing a whole lot of redevelopment right now. It's just kind of too far over from the district. Mm -hmm. um, but I did go inside the building and walked down a hallway and found myself in the parking garage and I've seen pictures of it online. I did see 8 Mile. I saw, you know, the scenes that were in the movie set in that area. But being there, being actually in that spot was a whole lot different because on either side of this huge, enormous room are two huge balconies. Mm -hmm. And they are still there. I mean, it's almost like you could walk up to those balconies and they kind of face each other. And you don't get that kind of proportion that a balcony gives you in a picture. But when you're right there, you can see how you could so easily just walk right up those stairs and be in that very, very ornate um, room. All this ornate uh, deck decoration everywhere on every wall on the ceiling on the balconies um and there are cars parked there i know it's uh there's there's a very surreal quality to that um and you know it's it's right out there with um classic sites like the michigan central station Right. And uh, the Packard plant, you know, when we talk about our, our great monuments of ruined porn. Yes. You know, um, which, which is sad, but, you know, they're, they're still there. It's not like the all hope is gone. Um, it would be nice if they it, – it could be repurposed and – Yes, it would yeah, be nice. They'd be on a smaller, smaller right. scale. I don't know. Um, of course – it's really tough because now, you know, movies just aren't that big a deal. You have your suburban multiplexes. Well, you don't go to a palace to see them. Yeah. You don't go – no, you don't. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, it would be. It would be. Um, but I, I don't know whether the – you know, with cable and with all of the Netflix. other entertainment choices – that they, it it's would, a whole different it, story. It would ever, ever be profitable. Well, and them. these restored 
theaters, they were movie palaces. They were a place that you went to go see a movie in unbelievable luxury. But now even the restored ones, other than the Detroit Film Theater, and that Mm -hmm. does not have your typical superhero movie playing at it. But, you know, the Fox Theater, the Gem, the Detroit Opera House, you're going to see um, a performance. You're not going to see a movie. That's true. Um, I think one – a really good example if you want to follow the trajectory, the kind of sad trajectory of of, uh, 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 a great theater, not – maybe not on the the same level as the Fox or the Michigan um, – but around the corner on Grand Circus Park is a theater – was a theater called The Adams. Yeah. Yeah. And the um, the Adams was a very interesting theater. It was built like in 1918, so a little earlier than some of the, the other 1920s palaces. And as a result, it was a little bit smaller. But it's a very interesting concept. It also was designed by C. Howard Crane. Wow. He was and, everywhere. Oh, yeah. He was everywhere. Um, he also did Orchestra Hall, of course, and that's our musical gem. Yes. Um, perfect acoustically. Yes. Uh, everyone and- – Beautiful. Nationally agrees on that. Right. Um, at the home of the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. But, and a beautiful venue. Oh, it is a beautiful venue. Another uh, great example of, of uh, restoration too. Yes. Um, but the the Adams on Grand Circus Park um, was what was called a um, alley jumper. And uh, a number of downtown theaters around the country actually had this concept because, you know, these were down in busy, crowded commercial areas. Right. Uh, it was tough to put in a big auditorium. So they would actually take up different parts of a couple blocks. Oh. So in the case of the Adams, you would walk in. It was narrower. It was on uh, on Adams Street, hence his name. And you'd walk in uh, into a kind of a small, narrow lobby, buy your popcorn, your ticket, your popcorn, all of that. And then if you were going to be going to the balcony, you would go upstairs and you would go over a um, an enclosed arch that went over an alley. Oh, really? <laughs> and into the next building. Oh my goodness! And you were up in the balcony. Wow, that if really you, was an alley. If jump you bar. were down in the, if you were downstairs, um, on, in the orchestra, um, the the main floor, you would actually go downstairs, like into a basement level, and go through a very nice tunnel that went under this same thoroughfare, and that then so back funny. up. You know, and so the auditorium part was on in a completely separate building. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it showed, you know, it, it, it began doing um, vaudeville and then a combination of movies. Uh, it was one of the first to actually get sound in the 1920s, uh, the jazz singer, things like that. They had the, the Vita, uh, Vitaphone, it was called, uh, where the sound was actually produced on a record that was played at the same time as oh. the as the film. Before talkies. Uh, yeah. Well, this was talk. This was the original talkies. That's how the jazz singer was done. Oh, That's why sometimes, you you know, there, it looks like it's maybe dubbed. Oh, <laughs> doesn't quite match yeah, up. Yeah, it doesn't always match up. But, I mean, it was a big deal because for the first time you could actually you could hear, hear something. 
uh, and you could hear all your your you know the your favorite film stars from the twenties actually speaking you wow. know uh, dialogue. So, um, but in any event, the Adams was this um, alley jumper. And, you know, it did well for a long time, but it changed hands and, you know, um, it was all tied to the economy. If the economy was up, it did well. But then, you know, if that went into decline, uh, which it did during the Depression, but then later on, you know, it became popular again. But then it became very sad because it was sort of like the poster child of um, what happened to a lot of downtown venues? Now it never went the uh, adult film route. That's although, amazing. Yeah, it never did, but it did close off and on. And uh, the only clientele they could really bring in, um, because this was the era when sur- suburbanites just would not go downtown. This is sixties, seventies, seventies. You know, and after the uh, white you know, flight, the, the white flight, and after the. Uh, whether you call it a riot or a rebellion, right. it, you know, it just lost a lot of the uh, suburban clientele. And um, so the movies that were shown would be exploitation films, um, it, you know, uh, black exploitation, um, and kind of violent grindhouse sort of movies, uh, films. And, um, you know, they had to contend with violence and things like that. Uh, it closed a couple times. The city council was concerned. And uh, at one point, um, it, it it closed uh, it, <laughs> almost for good uh, when there was actually a killing there. Murder. And it was murder. And it was during um, – uh, with the rappers run DMC. Oh, no. And uh, they, they, I, I never even knew they made a movie. But – they did, and apparently at a lot of the venues, violence broke out. And so uh, in any event, that wasn't good. That was They tried good. to reopen it again, and the, there was a uh, an, another gun battle and between two teenagers over a girl, you know. Raising the fear factor. Yeah, the fear factor. So, you know, um, it finally closed for good. Um, Mike Illich bought all that property. And because it was all part of his Foxtown thing. And the many people, many spokesmen for the organization said it was going to be restored. Uh, but it never really happened. It didn't and, happen. No. And finally, it was allowed to just kind of crumble. Scrappers got in. And, uh, you know, no, no longer exists. I think that is a pretty familiar story. I think there were so many theaters downtown. Right. right. I... I remember, I think my first movie downtown, I think my first movie, period, was Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Because when I was a kid, we would go to Disney movies Mm -hmm. and my grandparents would take us. They Mm -hmm. lived in the city. And Mm -hmm. I remember seeing Darby O'Gill and the Little People. I had a teacher that took us to see Ben-Hur and It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. And I remember... When I was a teenager, an aunt and uncle uh, took my siblings and I to see Mary Poppins. And I still remember that night. When I think about it, it's kind of like a a big city, you know, bright light, 
night and I remember we were standing on the sidewalk in front of Mary Poppins and across the street my fair lady was playing and it was a real New York Chicago big city night. It was almost like going night. to a premiere, you know. It was, it wonderful. was huge marquees yes. all lit up, uh brightly colored. Oh yeah. with like, you know, 2 foot letters um uh, on them, you know, with the the show and the star and yeah, it it was a big deal. I remember that too. Yeah. I do have a story about my mom. Um my mom is a lovely lady. She's 88 years old and she's in pretty good shape for her age actually. And she's a very church going lovely lady and when she was a teenager, she told me that the only time she ever skipped school was when she and my Aunt Dolores, actually, who um, was her best friend, skipped high school to go to the Fox Theater to see Frank Sinatra. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. I kind of love that story. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, of course, that was in the day when there would be a movie, but then there always also would be a, a, an amazing stage show, too. Right. And they'd get some big names at those larger venues. Oh, yeah. He was a big heartthrob. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, that's great. So, um, and next to the Fox is the Fillmore. Right. Another C. Howard Crane. It's another C. Howard Crane. Um, it was a little smaller than the Fox, but I remember seeing that, going there as a, a, a really young kid with my mom. I think I've told you before how she was always schlepping us around on, you know, the streetcar right. or the yes. bus or whatever. And uh yeah, we would we went to a, a matinee down there and I, I remember this curving marble staircase. Oh. And uh you know, I remember having to, because the, with this really wide marble balustrade that mm -hmm. I had to kind of put my hand up on because I wasn't that tall then, you know. And uh, I thought that was so cool and all the statuary and everything. So that's uh, another thing that's gone through a whole lot of different changes and iterations. Um, it's alive and well. It is alive and well. When they get big acts, they uh, – along with uh, places like the Royal Oak Music Theater, uh, they took a classic theater uh, from the 20s and repurposed it as kind of a um, – you know, a music cabaret yes. thing with small tables and, um, yeah, there, there would be, um, they, they still get big acts there. Yeah. It is definitely still doing well. And I do want to talk about another theater. Ed and I recently went to the Redford Theater, mm -hmm. which is, um, on Detroit. It's not downtown. It's on Detroit's west side. Um, where is that? Lasher and yeah, Six Mile. Lasher, Lasher and well, if you're if you're a Detroiter, you say Lasher. If you're if you're a suburbanite, you say Lasher. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I'm giving myself you away here. Um, but it's um, yeah, Lasher and, and uh, Grand River in the Redford district of Detroit. There's also a Redford Township. That's, that's confusing. Just beyond that, but it's all considered Redford. But this is part of the city of Detroit. I thought the theater was lovely. Wasn't it great? It was, it was beautiful. Yeah, I had never been there before. You know, there's there in the whole city of Detroit. There at one time there were many, many, many. Um, they were called like uh, suburban theaters, even though it was the city. It wasn't a true suburb. I do remember but that because it was out from yes. the central. And so city it wouldn't core. get like 
the first it runs. It was a neighborhood theater, yeah. It would have to wait to get Darby would, O'Gill yeah, and the little They would people. have to wait, yeah. <laughs> but in any event, um, there were a number of these and some of them were just wonderful. I mean, Royal Oak had three suburban theaters. Uh, the Maine, which is still going strong. The Washington, which now has um, – uh, become the the old Baldwin Theater and has the stagecrafters right. that perform and there. They've done a beautiful job. And there then the the, the beautiful um, Royal Oak, uh, another con- uh, yeah, all of these theaters, both neighborhood and many of the downtown ones were were owned by an uh, empresario named John Kunsky. In fact, they even uh, for for a time in the twenties and thirties, they even called Grand Circus Park. Uh, Kunsky Circle because oh. he he owned um, like seven theaters within a three block radius. So, uh, but but he also uh, built the or owned the the Redford, the Royal Oak, and the Birmingham, which is still you know in operation, still, still in operation. Yeah, but I was really struck by the um, decorations in the Redford Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, when we walked in, we sat in the balcony, so we got a really good overview of the lower level. And our usher pointed out to us, it was kind of dark and we were having a little bit of trouble, but he said, it's a Russian, I mean, a, not a Russian, it's a Japanese tea room. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the ceiling was twinkly lights. And when you looked at the stage, you could see the tea room. Yeah. It was an out, yeah, an outdoor Japanese garden theater. Yes. And so, you know, looking on uh, uh, flanking each side of the stage uh, was was like um Japanese uh those screens with the screens and uh women in um beautiful kimonos, kimonos and with obis and and uh, samurai and uh yeah, just just terrific. But very um, definitely Japanese. Right. And you told me this during World War II. It was the Japanese decorations were taken out, yeah. painted over, painted over, yeah. or covered up. This was a, you know. It, paranoia. It was paran- it, paranoia. Yellow fever. And, yeah, and it was just something that you couldn't promote. So uh, those were covered up. Where they couldn't be covered up, they were painted over. And that's why... The restoration on that is amazing because they had to remove all of that and bring it back. I can't believe and they painted over any, those screens because they look beautiful now. I know, I know, they look very delicate. You wouldn't think you'd think they'd they're be totally beautiful, ruined. very pretty. Yeah, it is. It's it it's nice. It had nice acoustics and um, and it has. It's only one of two theaters left in Michigan that have the original organ. Yeah, we heard many, that organ. Yes, and uh, the thing that that really saved the Redford, it's the last operating Detroit theater uh, that's not in the central city. Um, and it still shows movies. And it still shows movies. And the reason why it's been successful and was saved from the wrecking ball uh, is because the Motor City – uh, Organ Society, which is part of a, a, a national organ society group, um, bought it. They bought it, and in fact, they're the only uh, theater in Michigan, maybe even in the country. I think in the country that actually own their own theater, and so they not only 
saved the beautiful Barton organ, which was the kind of the state of the art for um, for theater organs, mm-hmm. even better than the Wurlitzer. And uh, not only did they save that, the only other one that has one is the Michigan Theater in Ann Arbor. Uh, but they actually own the theater, you know? So they do all the programming and everything. And every single, you know, a lot of the, the stuff they do is revivals of uh, kind of classic movies from the. But, you know, I noticed that according to their schedule, it gives you a chance to see some really. Uh, important movies in a movie theater. In a movie theater, on a wide screen. On the big yeah. cinemascope in fact, type uh, screen. I, the, the day before we went down there, Linda, for the performance that we saw, which we probably should mention. Yes. But uh, the day before we went down there, I um, I stopped down and, and uh, was just kind of peering around. And somebody came out and said, can I help you? And um, – he was actually the president of the of the organ society and the manager of the theater. Oh, yeah, really, uh, really nice guy named Steve Overstreet, and he gave me a, like a personal tour. Oh, well, and that he, was he so showed nice. me the the dual projectors. Uh, they've got the um, classic seventy millimeter projectors, so that's the wide cinemascope projectors. So wow. they can actually show movies, which they are. Um, coming up, I think, in a month or so, uh, like North by Northwest. Oh, how wonderful to see that. Which would be so great on a wide screen that you really couldn't see on On a television. that's for sure. Certainly not on TV and even in most um, local theaters. You just wouldn't have that experience. And they also put in Dolby Sound and all of that. But it's really great that they still that that is still commercially successful and has a real following. And what we saw was Michael Bolton's yeah. love letter to the city of Detroit. It was. We talk a lot about how people get caught up in the ruin porn aspect mm-hmm. of poor Detroit, mm-hmm. but. This movie was not about that at no, all. It wasn't. This was such a positive take on the city. And he had a great method of it was a documentary about Detroit and he talked to a lot of people um Francis Ford Coppola, Jerry Bruckheimer, Bruckheimer the producer. The producer yeah. Um, well, of course, he talked to a lot of music people, Aretha mm-hmm. Franklin, yes, and mostly interviewed, stars. you know, members of the Illich family, Dan mm-hmm. Gilbert, who has been so instrumental in mm-hmm. Detroit's comeback. And it was a lot of interviews and history, and it was a love letter to Detroit. He started it five years ago, and, you know, he had... Um, well, I was crying at every, the end of the movie. I was too. You and I were both tearing up at a number of times during the movie. Um, it was – yes, it was a certainly a positive thing. It didn't look at all of Detroit's problems. But although it did address some of the reasons why Detroit went into decline, having to do with problems with the auto industry, uh, having to do with the sheer geographic size of Detroit. You right. Know? It's so much bigger area-wise. But, you know, I appreciated the glass half full Mm -hmm. attitude that he had because we have heard so much negative, 
you know, right. talk about the city for so long. And, you know, it was, and he didn't grow up here. He's not from he's, here. No, he's from uh, New Haven, Connecticut. Right. But he loved, like many, like many performers say, that there's no audiences better than Detroit audiences. It's just an enthusiasm that's there. And he fell in love with the city and he fell in love with the music. He fell in love with the whole Motown scene. And so he was really moved to create this this kind of um, homage to the, the, the comeback Absolutely. Uh, of the city. Of the city. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean he, he zeroed in on wonderful things like uh, the – you know, the um, – the slow roll, the, the oh, the uh, bicyclers, the bicyclers, slow roll, yeah, and uh, the, everything that's happening in right, the city. Right, the comeback of of Corktown and classic neighborhoods, um, and all the historic restoration. Some of those office buildings, right? Oh my gosh, were so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so yeah, it it was very moving. And he also looked at the uh, at personal stories, like people who. Um, hired uh, single moms who right. had been uh, homeless and down yes. and out, and uh, actually, you know, gave them jobs that they could feel proud of, and you know, earn a livable wage at. Uh, and these people were really making it where yeah. they wouldn't have had those opportunities had. That not happened, and so you really had a sense of of uh, can do, and people kind of pulling themselves up. I would recommend anyone if they get a chance to see Michael Bolton's movie. Yeah, it was. Uh, um, I, I hope there that it does get shown again. I hope that maybe it goes to cable or to PBS, PBS or something, something like that. But it's called uh, American Dream Detroit. And, and that's really what it was. It was wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And at great. the end, at the end, they there was a Q and A with Michael Bolton and um, his now friend Mitch Album, who he got to know in coming back right. to the city so many times. And uh, both of them talked about um, Detroit. And I thought Mitch Album made a a, a really good point. He said. Um, he was really, in some ways, ashamed of uh, the national news media because, for a long time, the only time that everybody came to Detroit was on Devil's Night, the night before Halloween, to talk about you know Detroit in flames. Right. And he said it's so much more than that. It's Where so much are more you than that. the other three hundred and sixty-four days? You know. So yeah, I thought that that was great, but. Uh, that was a good experience going down there. It was, it was wonderful. It was great. And I love the theater. I'd like to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one last story about a Detroit theater. So um, Harry Houdini mm-hmm. died in Detroit mm-hmm. after a performance in Detroit. So what happened was, this is October 19th, 1926, in Montreal, Harry Houdini bragged that he could withstand any blow to his wa- washboard abs. Yeah. So this teenager, you know, he was a football player, high school football player, decked him. Yeah. Well, he sucker punched him because it was like, you know, it was going to be on three or something. And he he d- didn't wait that amount he of time. And then it happened again. The next mm-hmm. day, another guy. Really mm-hmm. took him by surprise mm-hmm. before he could tense his stomach muscles at all. Yeah. 
So, you know, a couple days later, uh, on October 24th, he opened at the Garrick Theater on Griswold and Michigan Avenue, and he performed, but he collapsed. Mm -hmm. And he was rushed to um, Grace Central Hospital. Grace Sinai, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Well, had he uh, he had what ruptured ruptured his, his appendix. Or, or appendix. Okay. He held on for a week. He mm-hmm. died on Halloween, right? Nineteen twenty-six. Yeah, very sad story. It was a pretty sad story. Well, he had performed in Detroit before. I mean, one of the famous things he did was, and I remember reading about this when I was uh, a kid. Um, he had uh, done the like the water torture thing, but it was off the Belle Isle Bridge. Um, and he had they. It was in the winter, and they had made a hole in the uh, it, actually because the river was frozen, and they had made a hole in the in the water, and they chained him up and everything, and you know made a big deal of locking the chains and dropped him into the river. Yeah. The only problem was nobody had thought that there's like a seven mile current in the Detroit River. Oh, it's fast. So once he got out of his chains, he was like. You know, I don't know, hundred yards downstream, and oh, wow. the, it was covered with ice. And, you know, and so he had to. He survived that. He survived barely. That. Barely, yes, but yeah. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job of kind of talking about uh, movie palaces of Detroit yeah. here, and there's still a, a you know there's still hope for a few places. I mean, one of the classics, you know, one of the oldest theaters in Detroit. That is just a shell of itself, but it still sits there all by itself on Monroe Street um, is the National Theater. Yes, and with that, that beautiful round oh, yeah. curved it's, arched entrance. It's huge and it's all white. It's the only theater that was done – that was actually built by Albert Kahn, designed by – It's very striking. Yeah, it's very striking and Dan Gilbert has said that he wants to incorporate it there would there are many preservationists that would, that feel it would be really worthwhile uh, in the redevelopment of the Monroe block, which is planned to happen, uh, to actually do something with the whole theater. What may happen just because of the cost is maybe only the facade will be right you know, and use that big archway as kind of a you know. Um, there's, there's, Entrance there's into been the talk, park area. There's been talking talk of even uh, moving that, um, moving that facade and making it kind of an entrance to this Monroe Block development. But uh, you know, true preservationists would like to actually see well, the, sure. the, the theater restored. Yeah. Whether that will happen with all its gaping holes in the roof, I and know it's destroyed. It's a very very big project. It's tough. Yeah. It, it also has the. Uh, the distinction of being the last live burlesque in really? downtown. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. In fact, I was actually looking at a video of of um, a lady named oh, what was her name? Um, Gypsy Rose Lee. No, no, no. She's she's a Detroiter. She's probably in her eighties now. Um, 
Oh, Lottie the Body Graves. Lottie the Body. <laughs> yeah. And she was talking about she really hopes how they bring the theater back. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, I, I've noticed the building several times. You can see it really well when it's you're really at striking. Campus Martius. Yeah. Yes. And it's kind of amazing because the, when they leveled that whole block, you know, um, they were going to take that down too. And the the queen of the Detroit parking lots, I forget what her name is. She's a real estate person. Said, "Well, no, we'll 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 just leave that. Maybe they'll find something to do with it." So, you know, it's still there. It's still there. Yeah. It's not gone. Hope which is one of the benefits, like we said, of kind of people just leaving Detroit. They well, didn't rip things that's, down. Th- that's the thing. For I mean, redevelopment. That's the thing. During that whole period of time, where you couldn't even give away real estate. In right. Detroit, because they didn't have any plans to build anything in its place, right. a lot of this stuff was just left to rot. Yeah. But that means it was left. It's left. It's still I mean, there. You go to you go in Manhattan or places like that. There's there's nothing because no. the real estate is so down. valuable that you know they all became Trump Tower. Trump Tower. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us on our journey into Detroit's past, present, and future. And we invite you all to explore the Comeback City.